Welcome to AUKUS Amplified from the American Association of Hip and Knee Surgeons, advancing hip and knee patient care through education, advocacy, research, and outreach. Good evening, and welcome to tonight's AUKUS Amplified podcast, dealing with patient-reported outcome metric collection and what you and your hospital need to know about CMS's mandatory collection and reporting requirements for hip and knee arthroplasty that are scheduled to begin in 2024. I'm your host, Adam Rana, Chair of the Advocacy and Health Policy Committees for AUKUS and Director of Arthroplasty at Maine Medical Center. I'm joined by two of my colleagues, Dr. Hutch Huddleston, the Adult Reconstruction Service Chair at the Department of Orthopedic Surgery at Stanford University Medical School, and our next president of AUKUS, along with Dr. Robert Sterling, Chair of the Department of Orthopedic Surgery at George Washington. He also serves as Chair of the Quality Measures Committee at AUKUS. Thank you both for joining me tonight. So the goal of tonight's podcast is to provide framework for our membership regarding CMS's new mandatory inpatient pro-PM measures for hip and knee arthroplasty that hospitals face next year, along with providing some clarity around which patients are to be included, what metrics are to be included and report out on, and advice to assist our listeners and membership that can help them if they're hearing about this for the first time. So, Hutch, let's begin with you. I know you've been very involved with the Academy along with CMS on this topic. If you could give us a sort of high-level overview and some context and background regarding this topic, that would be great. Sure, Adam. And it's really a pleasure to be here tonight to try to get the word out on this. We have been beating the drum, but uh, I think the more the better given the significance of what's at stake here. So I have been serving on the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons PROMS work group for the last 18 months or so. And we've been responsible for figuring out exactly what the details are of this program, disseminating that information to our members, and also trying to help stakeholders get engaged in this effort. And we have uh, a whole host of resources to do that. But before we go too far into that, so the nuts and the bolts of the program are such that it's a five-year endeavor and we are in year two. So this is about collecting patient-reported outcomes for patients who are undergoing primary hip or knee replacement for osteoarthritis or inflammatory arthritis or post-traumatic arthritis. So it excludes patients with fractures. And the goal is to basically by CMS to see how much better folks are getting and how often. So in the first year, CMS only required people to voluntarily submit patient-reported outcomes. And they did publicly report which institutions, i.e. hospitals, were reporting. And then in the second year, which we're coming towards the end of now, not only did they report who's reporting, but they looked at the percentage of your patients that are having linked PROMs. So a preoperative PROM and a postoperative PROM. So this applies to Medicare fee-for-service patients only. It's not Medicare Advantage patients. It's not privately insured patients. And it's only patients who are eventually billed as an inpatient at the hospital. So that's an important distinction. So for reimbursement purposes, if they are Medicare fee-for-service, they had this procedure based on a CPT code and diagnosis codes, and they were an inpatient, they are part of the cohort that needs to have patient-reported outcomes. So which outcomes are CMS requiring? So it's a joint-specific score, which is either the Hoos Jr. or the Coos Jr., 
And then there's a general health measure, which is either VR12 mental scale or promise global mental scale. So those are the proms. And then there are four additional questions that the hospital has to report on. So one is a general health literacy question, single question, yes or no. And then the next one is a zero to five score about how bad, if at all, is your back pain. The next one is, do you have pain in your contralateral hip or knee? And you have to rate that zero to four. And so those additional questions are not something that we would necessarily be asking folks as part of the standard prom. So it's important that you are aware of that as well. So what are the timelines? So for patients who are starting on July 1st, 2024 for an operative date, patients need to be part of the cohort if they're eligible. And then the collection period pre-op starts on April 1st, 2024. And so you have that window of three months before the operation to collect the preoperative prom. And then you have to get a one-year post-op prom at between 300 and 425 days after the operation. So that's the post-operative window, which is fairly generous. So if you have a patient who's eligible and is included, if you miss one question in either VR12 or Promise Global or, or Who's or Who's Junior, then you're going to get dinged and that patient will be excluded, unfortunately. And same for the four other questions that we just went over that have to be answered. So those are the nuts and bolts of it. We'll get into, I assume, in a little bit when the penalties are going to start, but that's essentially a high-level overview and the timeline. Hutch, thank you very much for that uh, really concise and thorough description, uh, the high level of the collection requirements and the overview of the program. Rob, I know your committee has been very involved in putting together two separate articles that are pending publication in the Journal of Arthroplasty regarding this topic here. And can you just discuss what your committee has been uh, up to and sort of plans the publication? I think it's going to be important once these articles are published to obviously disseminate it amongst our membership. Sure. Thank you, Adam. The committee's been involved with this since before the pro-PM was adopted by CMS. We had several of our AUKUS members that sat on the technical experts panel of uh, Yale Core who advised CMS when the measure was created. And so the committee has since worked on one paper that specifically focused on the pro-PM to really give this high-level overview as well as some of the nuts and bolts of the program that's just pending acceptance in the Journal of Arthroplasty, and we're hoping that that's going to go through soon, having spoken with our head editor. This is clearly going to be very impactful for the hospitals. This is currently as Hutch said, a hospital measure and will impact hospital dollars. But I think that we can anticipate that at some point in time, this is going to extend out to Medicare patients, whether they're inpatients or outpatients, and eventually regardless of the site of service. And I think that it's important for us at this point in time to recognize some of what that future is and try and have our relationships with the hospital leveraged to place systems ready for that in the future, because the expectation of this to just fall on the surgeons to provide this data and get our patients to do it, I think is unreasonable in both the near and the far term. And we have an opportunity here to both work with and leverage this with the hospitals 
to have them help us and have us help them in a broader sense to improve our patient outcomes. Thank you, Rob. And uh, I think it's really important here to point out that this is for hip and knee arthroplasty for inpatient only currently, as was mentioned, and likely will be rolled out in the outpatient and ASC type setting. Now, Hutch, you touched on, but we didn't dive into details yet about the targets or minimum response rates that hospitals are going to be required to reach? And what are the financial penalties if hospitals don't reach these thresholds? So what are hospitals looking at with regards to the rollout of this program once it becomes mandatory? Sure. So one of the risk adjustment variables that I forgot to mention, the fourth one is preoperative narcotic or opioid use. So again, that's not something that we would necessarily have at our fingertips, even if you have a robust PROMS platform. And so that is the fourth one. So it's back pain, contralateral hip or knee pain, health literacy, and preoperative uh, narcotic use are the four questions that are in addition to the standard risk variables that will be included. And we'll get into that in a second. So the threshold that CMS has set is 50%. And PROMS, we had a rather informative 90-minute call with CMS about six weeks or so ago. And just there was a room full of us on the PROMS work group in Rosemont. And there were probably about 10 folks from CMS. So those of you who have had meetings with CMS, either in person or Zoom, a 90-minute meeting with that many people is unusual. So that sort of gives you an idea about the details. But yes, yeah, so the 50% capture rate is what they've put forth. And they're pretty clear on that. They're also very clear on what the financial penalty is going to be. So this is a big, big number. And I think it's important to point out that this penalty applies not only to your hip and knee replacement patients, but it applies to all Medicare fee-for-service patients in the hospital. So each year, the hospital gets a update or increase in how much they get paid per unit of work for CMS. That's called the annual payment update, and that varies between 2 and 4%. So let's just say the average academic institution does 1,500 primary hip and knee replacements per year. That's going to turn out to be approximately $100 million of Part A claims, and so 2 to 4% of the update. So on $100 million worth of claims, a 2 to 4% update that you will lose, you're looking at roughly a million-dollar penalty. Okay, but that's just for hip and knee replacement patients. That's not the entire penalty. The penalty is going to be based on all Part A claims for fee-for-service patients. And yeah. So in addition to the financial penalty that we just discussed, there's a second penalty. And if you don't meet this mark and you incur a financial penalty, then the, the hospital is disqualified from participating in any value-based purchasing program through CMS for the entire year. So that's potentially a lot more money left on the table as well. Thank you, Hutch. And so to be clear, you know, that threshold of 50% of all eligible patients having complete data is significant and hospitals need to understand that. And there are significant financial consequences for Medicare payments if hospitals do not meet this uh, threshold. So Rob, turning to how hospitals will be scored. So CMS is going to be publicly reporting this data and they're going to be looking at the pre and post-operative changes for Coos Jr. and Coos Jr. And they're going to be looking at 
the substantial clinical benefit or SCB for hospitals. And so can you comment a little bit about this public reporting of data and comparing hospitals to one another? Sure. So the patient reported outcome measure is the HUS-JR, the CUS-JR, which are the joint replacement outcome measures. The HUS-JR threshold is 22 point change and the CUS-JR is a 20 point change. And the way that CMS will use this is they will have the pre-op data from zero to 90 days before surgery and the one year data that's really nine to 14 months collection period and it will either be a yes, no. Did the patient achieve a substantial clinical benefit of 22 points of the HOOS, 20 points of the COOS, yes or no? And that then becomes the numerator and the denominator will be all patients that had the procedure performed that met the inclusion inpatient over 65 on Medicare for the indicated diagnoses. And so as Hutch had mentioned earlier, patients that don't complete the PROM but do have the surgery will still be in the denominator. And so failure to collect or provide the data can have a pretty significant impact on the collection rates. One of the other important things that's been touched on is the risk adjustment. And so CMS applied the risk adjustment using some of the data that they had from CJR again. And the data that we provide are the four questions that Hutch mentioned. So again, for repetition's sake, those questions are the index question of the Oswestry back pain index. How much back pain do you have every day? And it relates to how much pain medication you're taking for that. The pain in the non-operative joint and the question is, what amount of pain have you experienced in the last week in your other hip or knee? The question on health literacy, which is just a single question, and that question is, do you require help filling out medical forms? And the last question is use of narcotics for greater than 90 days. In addition to that information, there are other factors that are going to be counted towards the risk adjustment. Some will be collected at the time of surgery, which are going to include age, sex, and body mass index. And some of them are going to be based on claims data looking back. So one of the requirements is the patient has to have been enrolled in Medicare for a year prior to have data on some of these other diagnoses that are part of the risk model, including diabetes and complications of diabetes, liver disease, rheumatoid arthritis, inflammatory connective tissue diseases, depression, and other psychiatric disorders, coronary atherosclerosis, angina, vascular circulatory diseases, renal failure, and severe infection. And so within the risk model, because the patients will then be entered into a formula considering each of these risk variables that will adjust some of the rates. It's important for us to make sure that we are not only getting the data from the questionnaires, but also making sure that we're documenting over the patient's treatment course any of these other diagnoses that may impact their risk stratification. Thank you, Rob. And yeah, I think it's really important that folks that are listening take a look at 
the risk variables that are being asked, because I believe a lot of our membership is collecting proms data, who's junior, who's junior, promise 10, VR 12. But the risk variable questionnaires really should be uh, looked at more closely by uh, listeners in our membership, because I know personally at our institution, we needed to include some of those going forward because we were not collecting these historically. Hutch, I'm going to ask you a question. I know there's no uh, true answer to this, but I'm going to ask you to speculate on where do you think CMS is going with the collection of this data? Do you think that down the road, can you foresee patients having their surgeries withheld if they don't meet certain thresholds with regards to PROM metrics? Um, is this something that concerns you and should concern our membership? Sure. I, I think the short answer is yes. We tried to get CMS in our call with them to expand on this a little bit. And as you would expect, they were not terribly keen on offering up much of what the future holds. But it's pretty clear that this is going to be extended to different settings in the very near future and also to different patient groups, i.e. probably Medicare Advantage. And then it's also pretty clear that this will go towards the rest of orthopedics and usually going to be the subspecialties that take up more resources for CMS. So I would imagine spine would be next. But what they did manage to get across to us is that this is about a, really a quality endeavor. And they know that if institutions are able to put in this infrastructure to do this, that it's going to enhance quality across the board. So is there going to be a time when patients don't meet SCB, substantial clinical benefit, if they don't meet that are payments going to be docked because of that? I would say potentially yes. And is there going to be a time when patients who don't meet a certain threshold preoperatively, i.e. they're not bad enough to warrant a joint placement? Is that something that can be withheld? I would say absolutely, especially given the overall condition of the healthcare delivery system and the healthcare financial system in our country. Adam, I'm going to just add on to that. We know that as part of the MIPS MVP program, one of the measures that's included is the same patient reported outcome measures, the HOOS or the COOS joint replacement, and they're using the PASS, so the patient acceptable symptom state, as a threshold in that metric. So it's not been included yet in the inpatient quality reporting, but it is being adopted within the MVP program for clinical reporting. So it's not a far stretch to see that we may police ourselves some in patients. We will know patients if they start at a pass score that's very low, then using that as a metric may become a, a deterrent. And if patients start at a very high score using the substantial clinical benefit, you may not be able to achieve the metric. If somebody starts at a at a score that's in the 70s, getting 20 points for a knee replacement may be a very big stretch. Thank you both for your answers for to that sort of challenging question. I know that from the advocacy perspective, we have sent letters to CMS, which you can find on NACUS's website concerning our views and concerns regarding the program. I do want to talk about briefly here, Hutch, if you can comment on some of the administrative costs and burden that's uh, associated with implementing this, because obviously there are a lot of different size hospitals around the country. So some larger tertiary care center hospitals do have the infrastructure set up to tackle this type of uh, undertaking. But 
for smaller rural hospitals, you know, this is a, a pretty big ask to hit these types of thresholds and requirements. And there are real financial penalties. Can you comment on a, the impacts of the uh, administrative costs and burden, and then B, in some of these higher risk patients, non-English speaking patients that typically have uh, lower prom reporting benchmarks, how that patient group may be uh, impacted with this program. There's no question that this is a significant lift for hospitals. And I'm sure they're not going to be too happy once they realize actually the complexities associated with it. Having worked at an academic medical center for 20 years and uh, having collected these types of data for a long time, I have a, a keen understanding of, of what it takes. And uh, it's not just achieving the metric on day X, it's sustaining the metrics too, which requires constant work. So this is a new resource that has to be permanent. And in terms of getting the program started, the Academy has a robust website where you can get all the frequently asked questions and also see our resources to help you on this journey to get to the point where you can do this. But it's really important that you, from a holistic perspective, understand that you're going to have to engage a lot of different stakeholders at the hospital. So the surgeons really should be the champion. And that is probably the most important point for getting the patients to do this. Unless they're forced to do this, if they don't think that the surgeon is actually using the information they're much less likely to do it. So obviously the surgeons need to be involved, but all the mid-levels need to be involved, the front office staff, the back office staff, you need to engage IT, you need to engage folks in the perioperative suite, you need to engage folks on the floor in terms of the nurses and things like that. So, and you know, lastly, information technology. And I would say that very few, if any, institutions have the resources to just do this on their own let alone the expertise. So most institutions that have been successful to date have partnered with one of the many companies in this space on the private side to facilitate this collection. And, and several of those companies have been very successful in this effort. And then in terms of, you know, what are the unintended consequences here going to be with any regulation? There are always lots of those. And certainly folks who are at institutions that have fewer resources to implement this program uh, are going to be disadvantaged. If you have more English learners or fewer people who speak English, that's going to disadvantage people. And I would imagine there's going to be institutions that just say, we can't do this. This is too big of a penalty and we're already at risk and we're just going to stop doing joint placements because that's the case. And that's ultimately going to threaten uh, access at its core. Thank you for that response. And touching on one of the points that uh, Hutch made here is we will be having a link to the Academy's website because I think they've done a very nice job with uh, a lot of the efforts by Hutch and others putting together a very thorough but easy to understand resource for listeners and our membership on this topic. You know, we're coming to a close here. I just want to allow Rob or Hutch any last thoughts that you'd like to share with our listeners or membership before we wrap up. I appreciate all of the dialogue here. I think this has hopefully been a worthwhile uh, endeavor for our membership. I'll just say that I think that it's clear that this is going to have a big impact. That This is an opportunity for us to both lead the charge towards quality, but also partner with the hospitals to have them help us and have us help them. And there is opportunity this for us in the future, potentially, because CMS is still going to consider some of the things as the program rolls out 
They didn't include any social risk factors in this measure. And that was one of the things that was a big discussion point in the technical experts panel. And so there may be opportunity as there is data there to get other measures included, including social risk factors or changing what the risk profile is as we see this, and also making sure that they do a good job of accounting for potential non-response bias from the patient groups that Hutch mentioned, because not all of these measures are translated and validated in translation. And so when you deal with patients in underserved, low health literacy, or speak foreign language from English, we need to be really careful that we're including all of the patients as we should be. Yeah. And I'll just build on that a little bit and say that I think most people understand that physicians are amongst the most regulated and now most measured profession. And um, if we don't do the measuring, other people are, are going to do that. And I can guarantee you that that's going to be less accurate. So CMS really looks to us to lead the way on this. And I think we've done that here. They've been engaged and had a nice dialogue back and forth in putting this work together, starting with the work group that we had with Yale Core, who advises CMS. And this was one of the things we did. So embrace it. It's here to stay. It's not going away. And it's going to improve the value of the care that we provide, which benefits everybody at the end of the day. Well, I'd like to thank Hutch and Robert for uh, participating in tonight's podcast. A copy of it will be placed on AUKUS's website for our membership, along with links for helpful websites such as the academies and resources our membership can use to better understand the new world we're in with regards to pro-PM requirements. Thank you and have a great night. Thank you for joining us for AUKUS Amplified. Visit AUKUS.org to learn more about how members of the American Association of Hip and Knee Surgeons educate, advocate, investigate, and perform humanitarian outreach in the field of hip and knee replacement surgery.